Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. As you all know, we are going through our sermon series entitled Storied, um, and we are doing a very quick overview of the story of who, how God has created us, how we rebelled against him, how he has redeemed us, and how he is looking to restore us again um, in the fullness of relationship and bringing that about in the consummation of all of creation being restored to him as well. Uh, Nick did a great job of uh, showing us last week of how the fall uh, broke the relationship that we had with God um, and how he originally created us uh, in the garden, um, being in close, proximate relationship to him, and how now we are away from him, and we, we have to be brought back into that relationship with him. Um, and and uh, one of the things that Nick mentioned is that, you know, at the end, God promises that one of the offsprings of the woman, of Eve, will come and crush the serpent's head, he who tempted Adam and Eve in the beginning. And so as we begin to read from Genesis 4 on, it takes us a really long time to get to when Jesus comes. And it's going, as we read the story of of um, Abraham and Moses and David, we're all going, is this the one who's going to crush the head of the, of the snake for us? And we see God making covenants with Abraham. We see God using Moses to deliver his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. We see David coming in as a king and being called one after God's own heart. And yet, none of these men, in particular, are perfect. None of them crush the head of the serpent. And I think it's really easy for us to see the fall as a one-time event 
but it really ushers in this time of temptation that the people, um, that humans have, as they continually put themselves in the place of God and want to be the one to call the shots in their own lives and in the lives of those around us. So it's really this continuing spectacle that we see of person, human failing after failing and after failing, failing, and this temptation that we have to put ourselves in the place of God, to use our own voice instead of listening to the voice of God. Has anyone lost their voice before? Literally? Yeah? 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 No? That's a problem. <laughs> Shouldn't be surprised with you, Jeff. So, <laughs> Yeah. As you know, I lost my voice a couple weeks ago. So how did you lose your voice? Sickness? Coffee? Concert season, singing too much, understandable. Sometimes it's not a literal losing of our voice. Sometimes it's more metaphorical where we're told, if you use your voice, um, I will come against you. Um, maybe uh, it's not quite even that, um, even that uh, uh, actual, I guess, that literal of a statement. Sometimes it's just we get pushed and pushed and pushed so hard that we realize we don't have a voice to begin with, and no matter what we say, no matter how much we speak, um, we have lost our voice. One of the stories, um, I had to watch it again last night, is The Little Mermaid. came out in 1989. Uh, it is a story, as we should all know, right, uh, of a mermaid who wants, who falls in love with a human, and her uh, dad, King Triton, is... Uh, very much against her in becoming a human and even going to the surface of the water. And so she makes a deal with um, Ursula, the, the bad, the witch, the sea witch, uh, and she has to give over her voice. In the Hans Christian Andersen tale, she has the most beautiful voice in the world. And so she gives over her voice to be able to try to make this guy fall in love with her. Um, and she has to do it without it. And he almost does. He almost kisses her. And then Ursula comes, pretending to have, uh, uh, pretending to be the woman who saved uh, the prince and having the voice of Ariel and pretending uh, um, to be the one that the prince has fallen in love with. Uh, Ariel is a story of losing and then again finding our voice as well. This scriptures tell us of how we have often lost our voice and how we can find it again. Even if we can speak, we need to find our true voice. And God says that happens uh, through this ministry of reconciliation. Stories give us voice once again. Uh, one of the commentators uh, said, Salvation is found in a relationship of communication. It is in Christ that God gives us our true voice. And so this morning, we're looking at how we receive our true voice, um, who that makes us into, and then what we do with that voice once again. So how do we get our true voice back, what that creates in us, and what we then do with that voice again? How do we get our true voice back? Well, Jesus comes. Um, that is the short and Sunday school answer for us. Uh, look at verses uh, 14 and 15, and then again at the very end of 21 again. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then he concludes this passage by saying, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here we have a picture of Jesus as the sinless sinner, the one who takes on the curse that God has put on us when we fell away from him. And what God says is that when we enter into this relationship with him, Christ pours out his love upon us so that he who knew no sin becomes sin for our, on our behalf. One of the commentators had this whole huge diagram of the exchange that takes place, and it's really a, a justice type of language of Jesus comes down, comes down from God to enter into humanity, to take on the sinfulness that we have created, to take on the power of sin, to take on the transgressions of sin, so that we might have be the righteousness of God, as Paul says at the end here, have a right relationship with him. Paul says this love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. This word is synkeo in the Greek. It means to hold together. Now suddenly we have someone who has come into this world to hold our lives together. What sin often does in our lives is that it sends us in many different directions, trying to find someone to satisfy us, trying to find some part of who we are and, and what we're missing. And here we see that the love of Christ comes to bring us together, to hold our bodies together. This is the same word that's used to describe our ligaments and our joints, to hold us together. This love is shown in his death, and it's on his taking on of our sins that we are able to have this life with him. Um, as I said, we have all these passages of people who are um, uh, we're looking for to be able to uh, see who is the one who crushes the serpent's head. And in the prophets, which are these, these foretellings of what is going to happen in the life of Israel and what God wants to do, how he is going to redeem the people we stumble upon, Isaiah 53. And he says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is one of those part this is one of those aspects of preaching that I would love to be able to just like be super creative and tell you this just most amazing thing creatively that God has done in Jesus. But quite simply, he sent his son 
to die for our sins so that we might have redemption in him, so that we might have the fullness of life in him, so that he might tell us a more true story about who we are. This is the person of Jesus, that we are more sinful than we ever dared believed, but in Christ we are more loved than we ever dared hoped. He tells us a true story about who we are. And here, as, as Isaiah said, we are like sheep. Each one of us has gone astray. Here, Jesus calls himself the true shepherd in John 10. He says, my sheep will know my voice. We're all out there looking for someone to follow. We're all looking for a voice of one who will truly love us, who will lay down their life for us. And we get duped into all these other people telling us, I'll do this for you. Just come and follow me. And once again, we find our voice taken from us. Here, Jesus restores our voice to us by saying, My sheep will know my voice, and they will come, and they will follow me, and I will lay down my life for, him, for them. Here we see that he is the one who crushes the head of the snake. It's very easy for us and for the world, I think, to hear this as an incredibly exclusive claim of Christ, and it is what he's claiming. He is the one who restores us to life, but it's also incredibly inclusive. He says that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And the exclusivity is not that... um, The exclusivity is that Christ is the one who has done this work, but it is a call for all to come to know him, to see him as the good shepherd in their place uh, who has taken on the sin of the world. This is our starting place. This is where we have to go back to over and over and over again because it's so easy for us to tell a different story in our life. Or even as I was talking to a friend the other day, he was saying that, you know, we have to redeem ourselves. No, we can trust in the work that Christ has done on the cross to be the sheep who has got taken on our sins for us, to be the sacrifice, to be the one who can fully show us the love that God has for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. This is what God does for us to restore us, to redeem us, to reconcile our life, our lives back with him. So what does that do for us? Well, Paul says it makes us a new creation. Verses 16 through 19 with me. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
This verse 17 here was one of the first verses of Scripture that I, that I memorized um, through the, the Navigator's uh, um, uh, TMS, Topical Memory System. Uh, and I would, I would flip through these cards as I rode uh, the bus in Costa Rica, just memorizing Scripture over and over and over again. And it's so pertinent, and it's why I put the flower on the communion table this morning, to remember that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. How we regarded our lives before how we regarded others in Christ, uh, or before they were in Christ, no longer matters because in Christ we have become new. He is making us new. This is our desires being uh, renewed. Again, this is being controlled. This is being constrained by the love that Christ pours out on us. And it's how we engage with other people as well. They can become new creations, and in Christ they are new creations. This is um, the this phrase that Paul uses over and over and over again is in Christ. This is geographic. This is where we live, and it's also deeply relational. Being in Christ is being connected to him in our relationship. And in being called a new creation, this is a new way of living. This is having resurrection life now. This is looking forward to when God restores all of creation and when he brings heaven and earth back together once again. We can have that resurrection life now. He does this through reconciliation. Christ reconciles us to God. Paul uses this term in this um, exclusively. I believe he's the, the only one who uses this uh, Greek word in the New Testament, but the majority of the uses of it, both verbal and um, noun, is in this passage here. And it means the exchange of a hostile or enemy relationship for one of friendship. This is so close to my favorite word, which is hospitality in the New Testament. I just had to throw that in. That word is not in this passage, but um, I love that image because suddenly someone, particularly in God in this case, who has been regarded to us as an enemy, someone who wants to constrain us, someone who wants to um, hold uh, life back from us, suddenly we see that, no, he comes near to us as a friend and calls us a friend through Christ's work on the cross. This is completely unique to Paul's thought as well. That is God who does the work of reconciliation. All the other ancient Near East gods and goddesses, as well as anything that we experience in this life now, is that it is not God's initiative. It is our initiative that we have to do, we have to perform, we have to be the ones going after reconciliation with other people. Right, Sarah? (laughs) And yet here we see God coming to us, doing what is necessary for us to be able to experience love and life in Him, making us a new creation He does this by not counting 
our transgressions against us. No matter what we have done, this is the small s sins that Nick talked about. The little things that we continue to do to take life away from other people and to take life away from us. God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I take that on. I take the cost of that on. I will pay that debt for you. That is the word that is used here. Is logizomai, to count, to cancel the debt on your behalf. What? What? Reconciling the account. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. I won't take the blame for things I did do. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Have you ever been in debt? Is anyone in debt right now? Do you have a mortgage or student loans or car payments or whatever, credit cards, whatever it may be, gambling? We could talk about that later. What if someone, I want you to think about how much debt you carry, whether it's a little bit or a lot, or debt you may carry in your life soon. What if someone came to you and said, that's canceled? I took care of it. It's all paid off. You, you don't owe anything. And furthermore, you never will owe anything. How would you live? What would your life look like? Would you go out to try to find more debt to carry once again, to buy a bigger house or go max out more credit cards or buy a bigger, better car? Maybe. It is too good to to be true. Maybe. What? Would you pursue a relationship with Yeah. Or would you live in such a way that you don't go back into debt? That you take this privilege, this generosity that has been shown to you, and that you would be able to extend that to other people as well. You have been given a new life. You are a new creation in Christ. In Christ, God has reconciled the debt. He has exchanged a hostile enemy relationship for one of friendship, one of nearness, one of grace and mercy and love. Not so that you go back into debt, but so that you live fully out of this grace and mercy that he has shown you. You are given a new voice. You are given a new life. So what do you do with this new voice, with this new life? Well, Paul says, we're ambassadors. Seems like a really big statement for Paul to make. Look at verses 18 through 20. Again, Paul writes, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
one of the interesting things that I, I in this passage is that Paul is making an argument for himself and and his companions that are in this ministry with him as well. Um, but he does so in the first person plural, and he's always saying, "We, we, we are this thing. We are ambassadors. We." Are, have been entrusted uh, with the message of reconciliation. And then all of the yous are plural as well. This is a communal thing that we do, that God has invited us into. God invites us into his story, and God invites us to participate with him as ambassadors. This is God's mission for us to be partners, ambassadors in his ministry of reconciliation. Again, reconciliation is the, is the exchange of a hostile enemy relationship for one of friendship. I will say as a note, uh, we, talk, we had uh, Mike Sayers came in and talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that you can do for someone else. You can forgive someone, and they don't necessarily have to be a part of that relationship. Reconciliation does take both parties coming together. And so oftentimes in our own lives, we try to reconcile with people or we are told and they are unwilling to reconcile with us. Sometimes it takes many, many years to be reconciled with someone. Sometimes that never takes place this side of eternity. Just as a note, as we go through our lives, this is different. It takes two parties for reconciliation together uh, to take place. But what God is doing is he's inviting us to be an ambassador for him so that reconciliation, we can invite people into reconciliation with him. That might involve reconciliation with us as well. The word that is used here is ministry. This is not professional ministry. This is ministry uh, here, and the word used is diakonia. That might sound very familiar to you. Uh, it is the same word that we, where we get the word deacon or diaconate. Uh, diaconia, um, uh, in the later after kind of the church became established in the Roman Empire, uh, was a place near churches where, where the poor were cared for. They could go there and receive food and shelter and clothing, and that this was the ministry that was taking place. We see people being called diakonia or diakonos uh, in Scripture as well. This word comes from table servant, a waiter or a waitress serving tableside, inviting people to come into uh, table fellowship, friendship with God. This ministry happens as we invite people to God's table to eat and drink with him. I think we can so overlook the simplicity of this, of inviting people to sit down at table with God. And here's the thing. He tells us that we are the righteousness of God. We are his uh, ministry, his friendship, his people, his representatives, and we are able to be um, that presence for people, how they experience the person and work of Jesus Christ. For us to establish non-hostile relationships with people is to eat and drink with them. Our voice invites others to his table. And the thing of it is, God doesn't say, I need you to do this thing with me. I 
need you to come along. I'm in need of you to do this. No, he says, I want you to participate in this with me. You are my creation. I have created you. I have placed you. I have called you in such a way that you might display who I am to people that you are near, how you can love them, how you can invite them, how you can bring them into a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We do this all the time. It's just harder for some reason when it comes to to Christ's table. When we go to a new restaurant and it's awesome and the service is great and the food is wonderful and the ambiance is killer, like we tell other people about it. Have you been to Uncle? The food there is amazing. The, the, the service is fantastic. They have wonderful cocktails. It's super cool. You feel cool just stepping into the place. They're friendly, even though they still carry that cool vibe. Um, and it's really wonderful food. That's one of the places I take people when they come and visit us here. When the service is off of places, when the servers are a little snooty, when they're not welcoming, when they're kind of like, we're, we don't need you, we kind of, mm, I don't know if I'm going to go back to that place. The food might be awesome, but the service, if the service sucks, like, eh, I, there's other places I'd rather go. May our service not suck here at the table. May we be loving and inviting and welcoming when people come in. May we know those people who come to spend time with us because we are representatives. We are the righteousness of God on display. I believe, I truly believe that as we extend this table fellowship, we will begin to see husbands and wives and friends and neighbors and parents and children find their place at this table. So who are you praying for? Who do you long to be able to come to spend a meal here with you, with Jesus? And just take a moment and, and pray for them. And also, how freaking exciting is this? That God is wants to use us to bring people into a relationship with him so that we can have a taste, a foretaste of the resurrection life here and now as well as know that we will spend eternity with them as well. Here's a reminder, though. You're going to fail. <laughs> you might have an off day. You might send a bad meme. Um, somebody might not get your joke that you are telling. That happens to me quite often. You might just be tired and frustrated. You may have been gone for a week and come back, and your kids are just nutballs and entering back into that, their emotional needs and your emotional needs. You might be tired and frustrated, and you might snap. And you might miss an opportunity, quote-unquote. And that's why we come back to the story. 
It's why we come back to Jesus and what he has done for us. Coming back to his table, because we know that he has taken on our sin. Not just the sins that we have committed, but the sins that we will commit as well. When we break our relationship with him, when we go back into debt with him, he comes again and says, I reconcile you to me. I reconcile you to God. So, And in doing so, we can admit our own failures and how Jesus forgives us and heals us and makes us new once again. And this, too, invites others to his table as well. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful um, for this story that you tell over and over and over again in our lives of how you sent your Son to constrain us in a way that holds our lives together, that pulls us from our disparate voices that we run after and longing for someone to tell us um, that they love us. And you tell us that you love us over and over and over again. That you have taken on our debt, that you have taken on our sin, and that you took it to the cross. And you were the sacrifice, becoming death for us, so that we know in Christ we have this resurrection life here and now. Help us uh, to admit uh, our sins, our failures. Um, Help us to run to you, to hear your story. And help us, give us a voice, so that we may also invite others into this glorious uh, table fellowship with you as well. We thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.